there's an old saying that goes, those that can do, those that can't teach. That statement doesn't always hold true, however, and Sean Hood is a prime example. Sean is the screenwriter of the latest reboot of Conan the Barbarian, directed by Marcus Nispel, and has written franchise sequels for the Crow and Halloween series. He's also completed a draft of a new Rambo script for Sylvester Stallone, and a sequel to Lionsgate's The Haunting in Connecticut. Oh yeah, and he also teaches screenwriting at USC's famed School of Cinematic Arts. We talked to Sean about production rewrites on location, originality in film versus television, the birth and growth of Amazon Studios, and much more on the Scripts and Scribes podcast right now. Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga, and today we're joined by screenwriter Sean Hood. Uh, and it's great to finally get you on the show, Sean. I know how busy you are, so I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, as we were, we were talking about earlier, it, it it's not so much... Uh, you end up having to juggle lots of different things as a screenwriter and filmmaker um, and teacher. So it's it's, half the time it's it's, uh, just a scheduling issue. How how do I juggle all these seven things in the air at the same time? Right, right. Um, Now, first off, uh, let's talk about your most recent film, the the reboot of Conan the Barbarian, which, uh, as I mentioned, I I, I saw and I I thoroughly enjoyed. what special challenges are there as as a writer when you're sort of asked to do a reboot? You know, a char- an iconic character like Conan the Barbarian uh, with a huge fan base, uh, with a lot of source material. Uh, what sort of special challenges did you face working on that? Well, the, there were two specific challenges. The, uh, the first one was just in the nature of the project itself, because you had a, a lot of people who were very attached to the Conan the Barbarian character that they had read in comic books. And there was a, a, another whole fan base, which was actually larger, that really knew of Conan the Barbarian primarily from uh, the, the Arnold film. Sure. So you had uh, uh, two very different sort of uh, fan bases. And then you had a, a bunch of young people who weren't all that aware of the character in the first place. Uh, a, a choice early on uh, was to sort of disregard the original and reboot it from the, uh, from the standpoint of the original um, short stories that were published in Weird Tales magazine way back. Um, go, going to, to go back to the original Robert E. Howard stories mm-hmm. and sort of start from there. Um, that, and that was the first challenge because those those um, stories are fantastic, but they're uh, uh, they're very old and they were they were written to be read, not necessarily to be, to be movies. So the the translation was difficult. And then the, the second part of the equation that was uh, that was difficult is you know you, you I came in only a couple weeks before they were going to start shooting, and they wanted a lot of changes to uh, the screenplay. Um, and it wasn't a case of the, the, the screenplay necessarily being bad or the, uh, the, the writers before me not um, doing their job. They did, they did it very well, um, especially the, um, the original writers on the project. Uh, but as the, as happens, you know, different people get involved um, with the project. The director mm-hmm. has his own vision and takes it in one direction. And then uh, producers and executives get involved and they're very passionate about going in a different direction. And, uh, you know, the script can go, kind of get pulled all over the place. But once it gets, um, once they get that close to production, everything has to sort of tighten up and, um, and pull together. 
And that's what uh, they hired me to do, to sort of come in and try to uh, make sure all the pieces were working together. And what ended up happening was uh, uh, the, the script got completely um, rewritten. Uh, rewritten enough so that I ended up with credit on the film mm-hmm. over the, the six to eight weeks of the uh, of the production, and at which time I was in Bulgaria doing rewrites as they were shooting. Right, which is another thing that I wanted to to talk to you about and ask you about. Uh, normally, uh, screenwriting is a very isolated. Um, process working at home uh or your office and and turning in pages and then waiting to get feedback and 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 shooting on location being on set is a completely different process uh working with others obviously in the same room and shooting very very shortly after you write stuff um can you talk a little about that process and what that was like well in in one sense uh it was very exciting i mean the first spec script i ever sold i sold in 2000 and it's still in development today. I, I, I had a conference call with the producers and a director and an MTV about it only a month ago. So it's wow. been in, de- in development for you know 12 years or 11 years. Right, right. Um, so the the idea it, writing for Conan the Barbarian was uh, felt more like writing for television in that um, I would write stuff and then only weeks weeks later uh, they, they would put the scenes on their feet. Or so, and in some cases, whole sets would be built around things that I had written only a couple of weeks before. Mm-hmm. And th- that was very exciting. On the other hand, there's uh, uh, much more pressure involved and there's a, lo- a lot more collaboration involved because I would write uh, uh, things over the course of maybe one or two days and then immediately turn them around and send them to production and the producers and the, the actors. And there was, so there was constant feedback with uh, uh, everyone on the, uh, the production. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that's also something that, that uh, one has to be, um, you have to have a lot of uh, confidence and sanity to be able to deal with all these voices um, uh, coming back with notes and ideas and concerns and, and fears and all that kind of stuff. Right, right. Um... Now, uh, in addition to being a uh, successful, active, and, and produced screenwriter, uh, you're also a professor at our mutual alma mater, USC, uh, and you teach screenwriting, which uh, I, I think is actually fantastic, uh, that someone who is uh, a working screenwriter actively teaching young, aspiring screenwriters. Um, but teaching and writing are s- sort of different skills. Um, and how did you discover that you wanted to teach screenwriting to others and, and what sort of a preparation or did you go through to, to get to that point? Well, my father teaches at USC. He was a, uh, a trumpet player with the LA Philharmonic for uh, something like uh, almost 30 years. Wow. And uh, during that entire time, he also taught trumpet at the, the music school, which mm-hmm. is right next to, next to the film right. school. And uh, I just noticed that when he retired, you know, after this long career, that uh, he also had this long career teaching so that when he retired from the, uh, the orchestra, he kind of went seamlessly into this uh, a full-time career teaching. Mm-hmm. And my mother uh, was uh, uh, an AP English teacher for nearly 30 years. And it, so it's, teaching has always been sort of a part of my family life. And then... 
I, I just got to a, um, I got to a particular point where I was talking to a friend of mine who's also a successful um, screenwriter and uh, TV showrunner, a guy named Trey Calloway, mm-hmm. and he was telling me uh, about teaching at USC uh, and his motivation for going back, which was there was an element, in particular pitching, that that is really important uh, in, uh, to any writer's professional career, but for which there was no class at USC. And right. so uh, because of that sort of vacuum, he, um, uh, he went in and created this class. Now, I didn't create a class, but one of, the, one of my big struggles uh, initially coming out of film school was not really being prepared for the, the way the writing process works in movies and the way screenplays um, work as functional documents. Um, in particular, screenplays are constantly rewritten, mm-hmm. um, and they're, not, um, they're constantly rewritten in order to make them better. And are constantly rewritten because the circumstances surrounding the the possible film changes again and again and again. Right. And I don't think a lot of students were, you know, they kind of wrote. Uh, when I was there, we all kind of wrote first drafts and we did a little rewrite and we thought it was like a, you know, we thought okay, now it's finished. Right. Um, and we thought it would be sort of like a, a play that then would get shot and made the same way that you know uh, we might uh, shoot a, a five forty seven. Right. Not realizing that so much of the work that uh, a professional screenwriter does is rewrites. You rewrite your own material. You re- rewrite other people's material. You, um, I, I, most of the work I get um, is you walk into a production company or a studio, and they hand you a script. I mean, sometimes it's a, a book or a comic book, but all, oftentimes it's a script that's been in production for many years. And again, the circumstances have changed. They've looked at it and said, oh, you know what, we want to go in another direction. And and you do a rewrite, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and then also you write original scripts or you um, uh, do something on assignment, and then it gets you get rewritten by other people, mm-hmm. and sort of uh, learning how to engage in that process and learning that screenplays are these sort of living documents that uh, uh, that change and morph through not only every step of the filmmaking process but through all these steps in the development process. I wanted to go back to USC and teach a class on rewriting scripts. Right. Um, so just uh, in that sense, it was a class. It is a class that is completely about craft. Um, I don't try to tell students whether or not their their, their stuff is good or bad. Um, although you know that, that uh, whether it's working or not, of course, that does come up. But it's mostly about here's an approach to rewriting your script. Here's how you break it down into eight pieces so that you can do the work in eight weeks and get it in on time. Here's, right. uh, uh, here's how you uh, break your script into pieces so that you can say, okay, these elements need to change, and this is what I can accomplish in a particular amount of time, and, uh, and this is how I surgically make these things better without make, you know, destroying all the work that I did in the first place. Uh, it's that kind of class. Mm-hmm. And it's, it was just, it's the, in, in other words, um, I, I decided I wanted to teach the kind of class that I wished I had had when I was at USC, and one that embraced some of the concepts of the the best classes that I I, I remembered at USC. Right, right. Now, and and I don't remember taking a class like that at USC. I was a production student. Um, oh yeah, I was a production student as well. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, we all took screenwriting courses. But something like that—that's obviously craft oriented, but at the same time, uh, very practical. Um, mm-hmm. Would have been very helpful. So, uh, uh, kudos to you. I think that's that's fantastic. Um, Right. Now, what types of other industry advice uh, 
being a working professional, do you offer your students apart from uh, the rewrite process? I mean, are there other tips and 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 insights? Oh, sure. I mean, I, every single every single class, we we talk about um, uh, different steps in the process, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know how to write um, how to write a leave behind something that you, you know after your pitch a, a, a three page summary of what you've you've written if that's something that you want to do mm-hmm. or different ways of writing a beat sheet um, mm-hmm. or uh, a treatment but not just for yourself but something that you might hand in um, as part of the the process working with producers and stuff right right um, we um, uh, you know students are always asking about advice about uh, sort of how to how to break in and how to brand themselves and all this sort of stuff, mm-hmm. which are important questions, but usually and also also just like what to write, you know, um, what's selling these days. Right. And the uh, the advice that I give again and again is that you know uh, you you come out into the film business and you are a commodity, but all you have to sell is yourself. Mm-hmm. So it seems to, it makes um, the most sense. Um, from my viewpoint, for for people to write about those subjects, about those characters, um, for whom they're most passionate, mm-hmm. because that's the kind of writing that will get you noticed. Um, whether or not it sells, I mean, that's just a crapshoot. There are brilliant, amazing, genius scripts that don't get sold, and there are completely, you know, <laughs> completely lame scripts that you can't believe uh, <laughs> sell. That you know, it, it just. It, that part of it you can't control. Right. But right. if you, uh, and I find that the people who think a little bit too much about, you know, what they should be writing instead of writing about what, um, what they're passionate about, mm-hmm. uh, they tend to be the ones who fall by the wayside. Um, because ultimately, any, uh, any, any producer who wants to produce anything, whether it's your script or whether uh, he or she wants to hire you to write something, they're looking for that spark of passion. They're looking for that, that uh, very, uh, distinctive voice, something that's going to separate uh, you as a writer from all these other people who are aspiring to do the same thing. I mean, there are uh, the, the ratio of aspiring screenwriters to actually working screenwriters is uh, is astronomical. Mm-hmm. I, I think the only the only uh, people who have us beat are actors. Right. Um, but beyond beyond that, I mean, the, the competition is fierce. So. Uh, it's really important to to write things that you're passionate about because that's actually what gets you work. I mean, mm-hmm. it's funny that even even uh, uh, jobs like Conan the Barbarian, um, which are you know strictly rewrite work um, based on underlying material. If you look, look at my um, IMDb page, you'll see nothing but uh, projects with twos and threes and and colons, and they're all franchise things. Mm-hmm. That's not because I chose, I woke up one morning and decided, <laughs> no, I really want to be a franchise writer. Right. Um, it's be, um, what happens is you, you write original material, you, um, uh, you do a certain kind of work, and people like it, but oftentimes that's not the work that gets produced. Right. Uh, the, the work that gets produced is uh, the franchise stuff. But the reason I get hired on the one is not because, you know, believe me, no one, um, no one said, Hey, Halloween Resurrection was such a great film. Let's hire that guy for Conan. Right. Um, it was it was a case of the producers have knowing me from other original scripts and the writing assignments that I had written that unfortunately never got produced. Um, that made them want me to hire 
that made them want to hire me for this particular project. So again, the, the advice, um, the, the, the big um, industry or career advice I always um, give is, you know, hone in on those things that uh, are true, truest to your own voice, because that's actually what gets you commercial work. Right. Right. And I think you touched on something that I think is also very, very valuable, but sort of not covered that well in terms of professional beat sheets and treatments, because uh, it's it's more of a rarity to write a spec, sell that spec. And that's how you that's your career. You're going to be writing specs and selling them. You're more often likely to go in uh, for OWAs based on a spec or something like that, or going in and pitching, writing treatments and, and uh, for your take on something. Uh, and that's something that I, I don't know if if it's really sort of promoted enough in terms of being able to. It's almost like actors, they, 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 they learn cold reading skills and, and, and things like that for auditions. Um, although that probably doesn't have as much real life value in terms of their acting ability, but, uh, developing a good pitch and, and working on treatments and, and beat sheets are all stuff that I don't think writers, especially young writers, aspiring writers take seriously enough. Well, it, it, ultimately screenwriting is not, uh, it, it's, it, it's not like uh, other, uh, creative writing in the sense mm-hmm. that you're not writing a novel. You're not writing. I mean, a, a lot of times screenwriters treat their screenplay as something precious, as if it were a novel or even a play. Right. And they have to realize that all it is is a blueprint and it's a, a method of communication. Mm-hmm. And that method of communication could come in many other forms, including sure. beats and treatments and pitches and different sorts of, of things. Ultimately, you're, you're sort of um, trying to get people in whatever way possible to, to imagine the movie that you have in your mind. Right. And it's ultimately all about that movie that's going to get made. What's on the pages is just a blueprint. So, um, th- that, and it doesn't have to be necessarily, I mean, it does have to be in screenplay format, obviously, right. it's a screenplay. But right. if, you're, if, if your goal is to communicate what, what uh, the structure of the story and what, the, um, what you're planning to do next, like uh, if you go into a, uh, a situation where there's an open writing assignment, they want you to rewrite a particular script. Um, there's some other script they already like. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you're going to want in, and um, you're going to pitch your quote-unquote take on the script, mm-hmm. and that's going to uh, mean going in and talking about which parts of the story um, you think should stay the way they are, and um, uh, and which parts you think um, should change or could change um, if you were to get the job to do the rewrite. And you know that's a, that's a complex task and. You can a very specific thing that you have to pitch, and it's different from an original pitch. And sometimes you do bring in uh, all sorts of things. I've brought, I've, I've, uh, I got the 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 job on a haunting in New York with like a uh, a thirty page treatment that included, you know, seven handheld, I mean, uh, hand drawn drawings and and uh, 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 researched photographs and all sorts of stuff because Mm -hmm. I was. Pitching, you know, I was pitching an idea, and that idea was going to manifest itself in a movie. So I had to use whatever, you know, uh, means at my disposal to communicate that to the to the other people who are going to be working on the film. Right. Um, I've done drawings for for uh, a couple movies that I've worked on, only just because sometimes I just wanted to. I couldn't think of any other way to communicate an idea to a director or something. This is what I'm thinking of. I end up faxing him a picture or something. Right. 
Um, but ultimately, I mean, these are all uh, these are all forms of communication, and there are many other ones besides just the formal script. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I, I I have to say, in addition to being um, a working screenwriter, uh, being uh, a professor at USC, you also have a, a fantastic blog, which everyone uh, should check out, uh, genrehacks.blogspot.com. Uh, and you cover a lot of subjects on screenwriting and filmmaking in general uh, and the industry, um, you know, where you cover stuff like the most important screenwriting tool, which we sort of touched on a little bit, the rewrite cycle, uh, dealing with bad mm-hmm. reviews to why so many movies fail the Bechdel test. I mean, so many, uh, right. you know, I think fun and interesting uh, topics. Uh, so, again, I encourage everyone to check that out, genrehacks.blogspot.com. Uh, and we'll have the link also on our, our yeah, it, as well. it, it, it's also actually just do com. We'll get you there. There you well. go, genrehacks.com. Good to know that. So, um, uh, but there's a couple subjects that you touched on that I, I would love to kind of uh, flesh out a little bit if we could. Um, sure. One being um, talking about uh, Amazon Studios. I know that there was uh, sort of a, you've actually interviewed Roy Price, the director of Amazon Studios, twice. Um, from uh-huh. my understanding, and I know that there was a sort of sort of a controversy about that. Certain writers uh, and, and WGA board member came out against it, and things like that. Um, I know there was issues with uh, being a non-signatory uh, to the WGA. Uh, how your submission uh-huh. led, led to an automatic 18-month exclusive option for no money to Amazon. Right, right. Uh, how like submissions were like open for anyone to sort of read and comment on, um, and how they could sort of have unwanted collaboration without any sort of financial recompense. I mean, like they could take your script and have other writers rewrite it without you having any say in it, uh, how credit would be solely determined by Amazon. Although they claimed it would, uh, uh, they would try to apply the WGA sort of rules to it. Um, yeah, it was really interesting when they first came out because on the one hand, they, uh, they were extremely forward thinking and they, they said, you know, we want to set up a company where we can get scripts from anywhere in the, the entire world. Mm-hmm. And we want to set up a system um, whereby anyone can get feedback and people can collaborate massively on all these different scripts. And since no one had really done that before or anything like it before, um, they kind of had to just try it one way, uh, sort of like writing the first draft of the screenplay and get notes back. Right. And you know, as so many writers know, that first draft sometimes just sucks, and you get all these notes back to them. What are you thinking about this? What are you right, thinking right. about that? But I give the company a lot of credit because what they they did over further iterations of their policies is listen to what all the the bloggers and the screenwriters told them and said, uh-huh. you know, it's uh, the option, um, the, you know, the, the option agreement didn't make sense to people, so they changed it. Um, the affiliation with the WGA was an issue, especially for someone like me, who is mm-hmm. a WGA writer, um, and uh, and for everyone, because ultimately, uh, if you sell a screenplay and are able to join the the, uh, the the WGA when it gets made, that protects you on so many different levels as mm-hmm. far as residuals and and things like health insurance and all these other uh, all these other aspects. Um, are you, you, you're suddenly protected by the rules of, of the union. And just all these other, um, uh, you know, at, at a certain point they did a lot of contests and, and they experimented with a lot of different things and, and got feedback from them. And that's ultimately the way that they uh, hope to do, to develop screenplays is to, in this sort of mass collaborative way, um, 
uh, find scripts, get feedback on them, and uh, you know, and as the projects develop through that feedback loop, so the company will develop and hopefully become better and better. But I mean, people are liking it. More, the more changes they make, the more writers themselves um, are liking the the company. And the thing that that I like about it is there is no other major buyer out there who is really cares at all what screenwriters think of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, if you go to uh, a major studio in Hollywood and complain about their submission policy, uh, I can't imagine that um, <laughs> they're going to take you too seriously. Right. Um, but Amazon does seem to be doing that because their business model is different. They have to have the um, you, you know this this large base since they're they're doing sort of this wide net sort of long tail approach to um, to uh, uh, finding original st- um, stories. Uh, they you know people have to think that it's a good system. People uh, or nobody submits or, right. or at least the uh, the most talented people, the ones that they want to draw into their their uh, fold, won't submit. So they have to keep updating and revising it. Right, right. Um, now, I know you, you, again, you spoke to Roy Price, the yeah, director of Amazon Studios. Um, how do they accept so much unsolicited material? Do they have an army of readers? Uh, especially because I know before it was public submissions, everything was open to the public. And I had read your, your, your interview, and they had mentioned that now they don't, you know, they, you can choose a private sub- submission so that other people can't necessarily right. see um, and comment on. Uh, as well as public submissions, the, the comments that people make aren't necessarily what drives the development of it, the you know, material that will do that. Um, uh, mm-hmm. But how did you, did he mention how they're able to go through so much material? Because I'm sure they're getting bombarded. Well, they are, and that's one of the things, uh, when I was talking to him, uh, because he, they already knew uh, even six months ago that their, mm-hmm. that their policies were going to change and morph and, and, and develop. And uh, th- that was always one of the, uh, I think for them, always one of the, the difficulties about the idea of just uh, doing closed submissions because then all of a sudden you can have this gigantic, um, you know, this, this avalanche of material. Mm-hmm. And to tell you the truth, I don't know exactly how they parse all of that. But um, what I'm hoping is that, um, and, uh, what, uh, I, I mean, ultimately, the, uh, their, their plan is just to have, you know, somebody who, um, who's working for um, for Amazon uh, read every bit of material that comes in. Mm-hmm. That's an enormous amount of material. Sure. And the, the, the problem with that is that for from the writer's point of view, who knows who what reader skims through the, the first 10 pages of your script and decides to promote it or not. I mean, but that's the... You know, that's the same issue you have with any studio or, right. any, you know, anybody who reads your script. Um, my hope is that Amazon continues to uh, sort of develop this um, this process because I actually think that for a completely unknown writer uh, who's uh, who you know um, who's sort of has their first screenplay or the first couple screenplays, it might make more sense. Uh, well, I think it does make more sense to. Um, to uh, submit it uh, in that sort of open forum and uh, encourage people to um, read it and get feedback on it and uh, have people write reviews on it and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Because it seems to me, I mean, this is an Amazon's official policy. This is sort of 
Sean Hood's take on it. Right. But it, it seems to me that you want people to see your writing and um, uh, and promote it and review it well and give you good feedback and all that sort of stuff. And that, that kind of thing can get you noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, um, uh, you have, uh, there's more motivation for anyone at Amazon or anyone else to uh, take the script more seriously. I think a major problem that a lot of beginning writers have is that they value their core idea too much. And they're, they're, they're really worried that someone's going to steal their idea. Right. Uh, and it, the, that worry is completely out of proportion with reality. Mm-hmm. Of, um, because, you know, all, first of all, all uh, filmmaking is all about execution anyway. And there are 12 people with exactly the same idea that, um, that you have anyway. Right. And the, the number of times it can be shown that uh, somebody actually stole somebody else's idea Mm-hmm. where there was a court case and, and somebody won, um, is incredibly low. It's, it's happened like seven or eight times right. um, in the last 15 years. Um, it's, so I, I think screenwriters worry about that way too much. And what they should really be worrying about is how good is my execution of my idea and how mm-hmm. can it be better? And for that, you need a forum, you need feedback, you need a writer's circle, you need friends who are reading, you know, um, you read their stuff and give them feedback and they read yours and you give, give feedback. You, you have to have that. Um, and that's what uh, a, a community like the, the Amazon screenwriters could become. It's not there yet. I mean, um, because, you know, it just, it, it just isn't yet. But uh, uh, it, 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 that's the kind of thing that I think an, a, a, a beginning writer needs. Right, right. Um... Another uh, subject that I wanted to uh, touch on a little bit, uh, and it's sort of appropriate with Battleship uh, coming out fairly soon, uh, a topic that you had broached on, on, on genre hacks uh, was mm-hmm. why there's so little originality in Hollywood. And one thing I wanted to mention, uh, obviously you coming from uh, uh, the feature side, uh, is that right. uh, films, uh, there, are, there are a lot of remakes, adaptations, sequels, but it seems that TV... Maybe the opposite. I mean, there's so many great series on now, unlike, you know, with obviously with the growth of cable television and, and, and satellite TV and everything, like Boardwalk Empire, uh-huh. Game of Thrones, Break, Breaking Bad. Why do you think that, that film has, has sort of come into, uh, is doing so many remakes, adaptations, and sequels, uh, whereas television seems to be branching out more than ever? Right. I, the, the, the truth be told, all the best original stories are on TV right now. Right. Um, and uh, films are, are taking up a, a different kind of place. I mean, part of it is just the nature of where, um, uh, where, where movies have gone since, since you know, the early 80s and the rise of the blockbuster. Films are becoming more and more and more about spectacle, and they, all are, they are all about just that, you know, that 90 to 120 minutes uh, one off. They have to motivate all these people to go to this thing that's going to be really short. Uh, whereas TV can explore these much longer character arcs. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, over the years, uh, movies have more and more gra- have gravitated more and more towards uh, pre-branded material. In other words, stuff that people already know about and get excited about, so that they'll be motivated to go to the theater. And um, uh, and again, because if it's just that 120 minutes, if it's uh, something completely original, they don't have time 
to sort of learn about it and get into it. Like, in other words, if, if there was a Breaking Bad movie mm-hmm. um, that, that, that came out, chances are nobody would go to see it. Because they'd, oh, what's that movie about? Oh, it's, it's starring some people I don't know. And it's about uh, what a chemist who makes, who makes, decides to make, a chemistry teacher who decides to make drugs. I, I don't get it. And no one right. would go see the movie. Right. But when it's on television, um, there's, uh, it, 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 they can, they can uh, target it to a, to a much smaller audience. It can build an audience. People can start to, people will start to talk about it. It's, it's a really a different form. Mm-hmm. And, um, and for whatever reason, uh, the biggest difference is, you know, both on television and in movies, um, the uh, industry makes what people watch. The industry makes what people will pay money for. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, people again and again show that for whatever reason, they will pay money. They will, in, you know, the, the cable fees or, um, and other, um, other uh, forms of, you know, just uh, in terms of the amount of hours they watch uh, for good television. Uh, the, the originality is rewarded mm-hmm. by audiences on TV. And for whatever reason, um, um, people tend to only go out to see the pre-branded entertainment. And when it's original, they tend to stay home. Right. Um, I mean, just statistically speaking. Sure. So you end up getting more and more and more stuff. I mean, uh, this year is it, it, a, a good example. Yeah, I, I, I really liked The Avengers. I had a great time. I brought my 11-year-old daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's what films are right now. They have they all aspire to be. They aspire to be these gigantic mega events. Mm-hmm. And that makes uh, uh, studios and fil- um, filmmakers very, very, um, uh, very, very careful and very, very risk averse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Avengers did turn out to be a great movie, but regardless of whether it was a great movie, it was a safe bet um, because it was like, it was one movie that was a sequel to like four other movies right. all bundled into one. You know what right, I mean? Right, right. Um, it was, I mean, talk about an established franchise <laughs> with established stars. And so, I mean, it had everything going for it that way in a, a sort of business sense. Sure. And that's what uh, studios want right now. And when I hear people complain that they don't, you know, there isn't enough originality coming out of Hollywood, I say, well, look, it's up to audiences. If you start rewarding um, the films that you think are original and they are out there. I mean, uh, and we're at a time when anyone can string these things on Netflix. Anyone can 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 rent these things, um, uh, these smaller, more original films. If you reward those films by watching them, by viewing them, by buying them, uh, or buying tickets to them when they, they they do come out on screens, you'll see Hollywood react. Hollywood is basically aesthetically immoral. They don't, you know, they will make whatever audiences go to see. So if you want more originality coming out of Hollywood, you have to, um, you know, pay money to see, uh, pay money for originality. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, I wanted to touch ba- touch back on uh, something we talked about before, and you obviously are uh, sort of an expert on it, being a teacher of it and having done it professionally, uh, rewrites. Um, and because you've sold both original scripts uh, and been hired to write, rewrite other people's material, uh, when you're doing a rewrite in terms of, of, of protocol, um, and I know it varies from project to project, but just sort of generally speaking, how much consultation and or consideration do you personally try to give the prior writer? Do you contact them, them at all? 
or about how how about if one of your scripts is is being written uh what kind of support would you typically offer well you know it it really depends uh obviously depends on uh the the, the screenwriter the, the screenwriter involved mm-hmm. but i and i can only say what uh, uh what i prefer to do sure. and that's you know like uh, on uh, on conan the, the writer who came uh direct, directly before me he reached out from first, and we uh, we had a number of conversations about how, how things were going, what uh, uh, what he was trying to do, and what, um, what I was trying to do next. I certainly would want to be supportive of anybody who's who gets hired to rewrite my material, because ultimately the the business is pretty small, it's a small mm-hmm. circle, and yeah. you want these people to to respect you and 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 like you. You're going to be re- rewriting their stuff at some point, and they're going to be re- rewriting you at some point. Right. So you do your best to um, keep them involved, but uh, th- that being said, it's it's uh, uh, it's sometimes hard because nobody likes to be rewritten. It, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, you can't help but bristle. And there's a, a, a part of I know uh, a part of any writer that as soon as sort of the baton has been passed, you kind of you know tense up and just don't want to even hear about what what's happened to it from there. Right. Right. You know right. what I mean? Because yeah, yeah. you're you're worried that you know your best stuff is going to get ruined or taken out or changed or and so you just you, you have a a natural sort of naturally you sort of want to step back mm-hmm. um and there, there are a lot of forces that make it difficult i, I whenever i approach a rewrite uh, you know i tr- the the first thing i think about is you know, I don't want to change anything that's already working. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, a re- if you do a really good pass, you're changing as little as um, you have to, and you're going by the um, you're going by that the, the sort of the doctor's philosophy: first, do no harm. Um, right. And uh, and but uh, but that become and but what ends up happening is, of course, there are many cycles of rewrites, and more and more stuff starts to get changed. And the other strange thing that's, that can often pit screenwriters one against the other is the the, ter- the determination of credit. Right. Um, if you do a, uh, if you, you you work on the kinds of franchise movies that that I work on that are ba- all based on underlying material, mm-hmm. um, you get credit on the film if you can show that you that uh, your work um, made up for 33% or more of the uh, the final shooting script. Mm-hmm. And so that encourages writers, you know, if you're the next one to be handed a script, you want to make as many changes as possible because, you know, it's, if, you, if you change 25% of the script, and it might be the 25% of the script that made it a great film, sure. um, the, you, won't, you won't get credit. The guy who got, who got the, uh, the director his coffee will get credit on the film, but you go completely, uh, you know, un- uh, uh, unrecognized for your efforts, right. and you know, and, and credit on a movie can be an enormous financial and career boon for any writer. Even if a film doesn't even do that well, being right. a produced writer um, uh, and accredited writer is a big deal. Mm-hmm. So there's this, this enormous uh, pressure uh, 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 on writers to, to you know to, to make enough changes um, to to get credit on a film, and that always that isn't necessarily to the benefit of the film. That's right. just a, sort of a reality of life. Right, I mean, right. uh, in, in a perfect world, they, uh, you know, writers on movies w- would be treated more like uh, writers in TV. 
I mean, one of the major differences between we're talking about all the originality in TV um, and the non-originality in movies is you know, in television, the, the, the showrunner, the writer-producer is in control of the show. Right. Um, they, are, they are the author of the show. Mm-hmm. In movies, it's, you know, it's a, they call it a director's medium. Um, and in a lot of cases, it's a producer's medium or a studio's medium mm-hmm. in, in that, you know, who is really controlling what ultimately gets up on screen. And, uh, uh, you know, writers only have so much say. Uh, it, would be, it would be better. I think you'd get better movies if there were single writers who worked on movies the way showrunners worked on TV shows. But that's, you know, in, again, in sort of Sean Hood's idealistic um, universe. <laughs> right. Well, as I, opposed like, to. I like Sean Hood's universe. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then lastly, uh, just maybe touching on, we're both production guys at SC. Um, you've, you've shot uh, some of your own stuff. So you're also a filmmaker. Um, how does uh-huh. that affect the, the, the writing process for you? In terms of well, I think all writers need to think of themselves as filmmakers. When I, I, I the class that I teach at USC is actually um, filled with production students, mm-hmm. and although they've had you know less time to spend on their writing, and sometimes their writing is a little bit more rough mm-hmm. in terms of craft, I enjoy teaching people who visualize movies when they're writing, who uh, uh, and also are are so steeped in the process of making movies that all that informs what, what gets put up, down on the page. So I encourage, you know, we're, we're living in a time where uh, you can make a short film so easily. You can make a feature, actually, for so much less money than it, w- it would cost otherwise. Um, that, that I encourage writers to do things that get them involved in the production process, that they go out and shoot scenes, they go out and shoot their own shorts, um, because... They need to think of themselves not as writers who are mm-hmm. stuck in their rooms. They need to think of themselves as filmmakers, right. um, people who are part of a process of making a movie. And that process has many steps. Um, you know, just uh, just to go through it once, just to see how much movies change in the editing process, yeah, which is a whole other rewrite step. Um, yeah, just and it gives you a little it gives you a little balance when you go to see that first screening of the, of the rough cut of a movie that you've worked on and you see all the stuff that's different than what you wrote in the script. Um, and you know, your first impulse is to jump out a window, but, uh, <laughs> if you, if you worked on uh, movies from other perspectives, you realize that, you know, the script is not a Bible. It's just a, a blueprint of a beginning step in a process where all sorts of stuff can change. Sure. Yeah. Cause you're dealing with a lot of people, a lot of, uh, uh, things can change. Um, yeah. Yeah. Interpretations are going to be different. There's going to be, uh, 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 situations are going to be different. What's best for the movie might turn out to be different. Once you actually get real live flesh and blood people walking around and doing the things you've written in the script and saying the words that you wrote down on the page, Mm -hmm. stuff that sometimes sounds wonderful when it's written as dialogue just doesn't play when people actually say it out loud or a particular actor has a completely different energy um, than what you uh, what the writer has written for, and, and things can go in a different direction. Um, really great director, really great directors are able to sort of balance that um, in the sense of staying t- true to a script that's working and trusting the material, but on the other hand, um, being able to make changes and improvise on set um, depending on what is working and not working. Right. Right. Absolutely. 
Um, now, this is the last segment of, of the show. Uh, I'd love to keep talking, but uh, I think uh, time is sort of running short. Um, uh-huh. It's called Rapid Fire. It's sort of a, a range of either-or questions. Um, sure. So you can get kind of a little bit better idea of, uh, of I don't know, a little bit of personality and things like that. Um, things you like and don't like. Um, movie theater or DVD? Movie theater. Uh, tougher Barbarian, the Visigoths or the Ostrogoths? Visigoths. Uh, worst Halloween candy? Uh, candy corn or circus peanuts? Oh, circus peanuts. <laughs> uh, a better band, Counting Crows or the Black Crows? Oh, the Black Crows. A uh, better version of the song My Melancholy Baby by Ella Fitzgerald or Barbara Streisand? Uh, Ella Fitzgerald. And better Robin Hood, Douglas Fairbanks or Kevin Costner? Douglas Fairbanks. <laughs> Very cool. Um, and that's all the time we have for today. Uh, thanks for joining us, Sean. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, and be sure to visit genrehacks.com for lots of great screenwriting and filmmaking tips. I can't emphasize that enough. Um, and you can also follow Sean on Twitter at Sean Hood. Um, and for more information on our show, please. Actually, visit our it's, it's Sean B. Hood, actually. Sean B. You've Hood. got to remember the middle. Uh, yeah. People do that all the time. I, I, um, uh, there are other Sean Hoods in the world. There's a, there's a, a Sean Hood who's a, 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 a psychiatrist in Australia who gets like half my email because people forget that middle <laughs> initial. Okay. So if you're looking for uh, great screenwriting and filmmaking information, go to Sean B. Hood. If you're looking for a psychiatrist in Australia, then go to Sean Hood. But, um, exactly. <laughs> cool. Uh, and then for more information on the show, please visit our website, scriptsandscribes.com. And if you have questions about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to ask at scriptscribes or send us a tweet to at scriptscribes. There's no and in the middle there. And thanks for listening. 